You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, tonight. James chapter 4, and you go ahead and stand. We'll, uh, we'll read this together and then uh, get into... Uh, the exposition of this text here. Back in James, we, we're finishing chapter 4 tonight, and uh, our thought tonight really piggybacks with what we talked about last week about having a God complex. If you'll remember last week, the application was uh, when we replace God, that we, it, 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 it affects how we speak to each other, and it affects how we judge each other. We, we become critical toward each other, and we, we essentially cross a line and take God's place, and that's a violation of God's law. And it's not something that we ought to do, and we would also, yeah, I don't need a God complex. You know, that's not something I, I would ever purposely go out and do. But listen, you don't have to purposely uh, do this one. This is something that comes natural to all of us. A God complex is built within the heart of every man. We like to sit on the throne of our own hearts. And uh, it's a problem that we've got to work through. Um, So I want to read then another effect of the God complex here in verse 13. He says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, And then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Last last week we looked at how a God complex affects our speech, and tonight. Um, I hope that we can see how it affects our planning. Um, Plans are not bad unless they're made without God in mind. And when that happens, we find ourselves in a different sort of mess. And in reality, what we become, and it's a phrase I, I mentioned this morning, it's not original with me, and yet I think it sums up very well what James is trying to get to here today, is that we become practical atheists. We, we don't say we don't believe in God, yet we live as if God has no bearing on our lives. And I want to consider that thought this evening, practical atheism. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we need you tonight. I need you. And uh, we cannot do this on our own. I can't, for sure. And Lord, I pray that you just your word would have the power. It wouldn't be about me or what the words that I say. But as we look into it, God, that you would... Pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and that and the joints and marrow that you would really just kind of dig in there deep and help us to see how we often uh, live in such a way that you are not in our thoughts and we know that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God and yet the foolish Christian lives in such a way that there is no God it's so easy to get wrapped up in the in the uh, the robotics, the, the form, uh, the habits, and yet have our hearts very far from where we are living. God, help us today to 
examine ourselves and to be, uh, to be willing to submit ourselves to your word this evening. We love you. We need you. We pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we talked about a God camp complex. There are few attitudes that are less Christian than a God complex. And uh, it's often a God complex is seen as having traits like this. A sense of entitlement. Uh, meaning that you view yourself as deserving of special treatment whether or not you've earned it. Uh, a, a God complex causes you to lack empathy in that you don't really care what someone else is going through. You don't have concern for their problems or their burdens because it's not you. A, a God complex is inconsiderate behavior, meaning that you don't care um, how your actions affect other people or inconvenience other people. That's not in your mind at all. You're just going to do what you do. A, a God complex uh, tends to have an intense need for praise, meaning that anything that you do, you want to have affirmation or you want to receive attention for it. A God complex takes advantage of other people that there's no conscience or gratitude about benefiting from somebody else. A God complex will isolate themselves from others in that they're so unconcerned about helping someone else or impacting someone else's life that they withdraw. Uh, a God complex will refuse to take responsibility and that it's always somebody else's fault. And, and is, as I read through that list, I really do think about toddlers. I mean, I think about it. Think about um, the mindset of a young child who really doesn't have concern about anybody else. A sense of entitlement, um, yes. Uh, a lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, inconsiderate behavior. Uh, stop at the nursery sometime. Uh, an intense need for praise. I mean, yay, you know. That's how they, they love that. Taking advantage of others. Um, isolating from others. You ever seen a child that doesn't get his way and he goes and puts himself in the corner? Uh, or refusing to take responsibility. Um, that, that, these are all things that children um, engage in. And, and my point in saying that is that all of those things are signs of immaturity. And that if you, are, if you are immature as a person, or especially in related to what we're talking about tonight, if you're immature as a Christian, then a God complex will often be seen in your life. And, and what James is talking about in the first half of this, of this chapter is when you have a God complex, it affects how you treat other people. You attack other people. There's fightings. There's wars. I mean, there's, there's fights all the time in the nursery. And, and, and with children, it's an immature response to problems that your thought is, well, I'm just going to duke it out. We're going to fight, uh, fight this battle and see who wins. And then, you know, whoever wins comes out on top and, and they rule the nursery. Well, that's an immature way to approach life. And yet when, when we have a God complex, it, it causes us to resort or revert to that mentality. It, but it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end with attacking each other. And that's what James is talking about here in these, in these verses. See, he points out a faulty thought process in their lives when he says in verse 13, go to now, basically, hey, listen up, he says. Look at verse 13. Ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. 
Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There's a, they had a faulty thought process. They were acting as if they were in complete control of their own lives. They, they lived as if they had all the time in the world, as if their plans never fell through, as if what they planned would come to pass, as if life was guaranteed. So not only were they leaving God out of their lives in how they spoke to each other, well, they were leaving him out of their, the plans they were making. And it's easy to forget that we don't have all the time in the world, isn't it? It's easy to forget that. I read a book a number of years ago by Tom Heyman, and he called it In an Average Lifetime. And some of the statistics that he compiled were things like this. The average American spends their time or spends doing in their life, he says, three years in business meetings. That's a lot of business to conduct. 13 years watching television. Now, this is before smartphones. This was in the 90s, and I imagine our screen time has gone up. Television time may have gone down, but I can probably guarantee that screen time has gone up. Um, in, in this again, years ago, um, in an average uh, lifetime, you'll spend almost $90,000 on food. You'll, you'll consume 109,000 pounds of food. And you see, like at Thanksgiving, it spikes, you know. You make 1,811 trips to McDonald's. And that's a waste of time. Okay. You spend over almost $7,000 in vending machines. You eat 35,000 cookies. Amen. Touchdown. <laughs> 1,483 pounds of candy. Oh, if it's sour candy, I, I sign off on that, okay? Not chocolate, okay? You'll catch 304 colds. You'll be involved in six motor vehicle accidents. Some of you are counting right now. You'll be hospital, eight, hospitalized on average. I mean, this one seems high to me. Eight times as a man, 12 times for the women. You'll spend 24 years of your life sleeping, 30 if you attend church regularly. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. I knew that would get an oh wow from Brother Bob. You know, that list caused me to consider how much time and how many resources we tend to waste over the course of our lives. I wonder how many of us live day by day largely never considering God in those decisions. Uh, when we get into the habit of, of living life apart from God, we have officially crossed over into God complex territory. And Lehman Strauss uh, is a, a Bible commentator and teacher. He called it, he's the one who I found that coined the phrase practical atheism. And though we would never say there's no God, a practical atheist lives each day essentially without God in his life. Essentially, without considering God's will, acting as if life belongs to him and he can spend it how he pleases. And this is the height, folks. This is the height of a God complex. We remove God from the throne of our hearts. We replace him with ourselves. And then we go on living life as if we call the shots. But here's the problem with this thinking. You have one shot to live life in God's will. And if you remove him from your life, you can't possibly live life that pleases God. 
You have one shot at life. You have one chance. You've got, you've got 70 or 75, maybe 80 years on this earth. You don't get to come back and reincarnate as something else. And you don't get to have another shot. at You've got one chance. 80 years to determine how you stand before God in eternity. And you have the free will to do your own thing. But understand that choosing that means that you miss out on God's best for your life. James gives us these basic truths that we tend to forget when we are practical atheists. And I want to just give you some truths that if you're a practical atheist, these are the kinds of things that you tend to forget. Number one, you forget life is a vapor. You forget that life is a vapor. See, vapors, this morning I got up and and it's my practice uh, on, well, most mornings, but especially on Sunday mornings to get up extra early and get myself a cup of coffee and go down and I bought my wife by the way guys uh, I guess a good Valentine's Day idea an ember I don't know if anybody have an ember you know what those are okay just the Oklahomans okay an ember is a cup of coffee that you leave on this little charging port and when you pour coffee into it it automatically heats up and keeps your coffee warm for a couple hours and my wife has an app on her phone if she wants to turn the temperature up on the cup by the way I bought it for her last year And guess who uses it just about every morning now? That's right. (laughs) This morning I had a cup of coffee and I I turned on the, the pellet stove, which works really well, by the way. We're loving it. And as I sat there and I held my coffee, I saw the steam coming out of the cup. And I wanted to take a picture, like for Instagram, you know, just be like, just enjoy my time with God. But I don't do that. Didn't have time to do my hair, you know, or... You know, when coffee is hot, you see the little steam coming out of the cup, right? That's how temporary life is. I saw the steam come out of the cup, and as soon as I saw it, it was gone. Life is a vapor. You don't even get to see the steam from your cup rise to the ceiling. It's gone as quickly as it appears. And that's the example that James is using. There, there were these merchants, these businessmen, and they were, they were making their plans. And, and, and they would say things like, well, today or tomorrow, they were, they were planning the when. They, they would say things like, we'll go into such a city. They were planning the where. And they said, we'll continue there for a year. They were planning the duration. Uh, they, will say, they said, we'll buy and sell and get gain. They were planning the what. And they were setting goals. And they were doing all these things. And this merchant was living his life as if he controlled time and events. By not acknowledging God in his plan making, though he, he was becoming a practical atheist. Practical atheists make plans without considering God. Isn't it true that we often say things like, oh, next week I'm going, or tomorrow I'm going to, or next month I'm going to. I just did it um, a little bit ago with with somebody. They they came and told me about a date that got switched, and I said, oh, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in this place. Didn't even think about it. And then I have to come in here and preach the message. Now I'm convicted. We plan the where. Say, I'm going to the game. We plan the how long. I'm going to be there for two and a half hours. We plan the what. I'm going to have a great time. You know, it's not wrong to make plans. 
There are countless scriptures that laud the idea of being prepared and thinking ahead. I mean, I think of Nehemiah. The man was a planner, and he followed through with those plans. I, I think of Proverbs 6, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You should plan. Luke 14, I, I think about the man that built the tower, and, and, and the, the parable talks about basically don't make those plans if you can't follow through with the plans. It's not wrong to make plans. The problem comes when we make plans without considering God at all. And there have been plenty of times, if we're honest in our lives, that we'll make a big decision and don't pray about it. That we make a large purchase and we don't stop to think about how it affects our finances. Or that we make a trip uh, without ever stopping to pray and ask God to help us and keep us safe. Listen, uh, it's like the man in Luke 12 who built the barns and he, his goal was to store these large amounts of his crops. And if you read those verses in Luke 12, 11 times in those few verses, he said, my, or he said, I. Never once did he stop to consider God and his planning. He said, I will take my knees. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be merry. And God said, I don't think so. God looked at him and said, thou fool, this night shall thy, thy soul shall be required of thee. And then I, the, the question is so sobering. He said, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So you're going to die and you're going to come, uh, you're going to go into eternity. And as soon as that happens, then what of your stuff? Who gets your stuff? In other words, you don't get to take all that stuff with you when you die. God doesn't view it lightly, folks. And that's the, I know it's a sobering thought tonight, but God doesn't view it lightly when we live our lives as if he doesn't matter at all. And I wonder how many of us he has looked at and said, thou fool. You've made all these plans. You've got these big ideas. Not once have you ever thought about me. Not once have you ever consulted me. How many days have you gotten up and woken up and never thought about time with me? You've thought about other things. You think about all these things. And he says, thou art a fool if that's the way that you live. Because all of these plans are going to go be set into place. But if you, if, if you die, if you go into eternity, where does all the stuff go? You don't take it with you. See, James uses the example of merchants. They were going around and, and they were doing business. They were planning to make lots of money. And now nowhere does it, the merchant say, tomorrow I'm going here and I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for God's work. Tomorrow I'm going to go to work, and, but my priority is God's kingdom. He's warning us to be careful about making plans without considering God. How is that different than an atheist who lives his life never considering God? It's not different. See, there's a, life is a vapor, folks. And most days we don't think about it. But, but if a life is a vapor, that means three things. It means, number one, it means life is fragile. And if those of you who've lived long enough or been around long enough, you know life is fragile. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what news you're going to get tomorrow. Everything could fall apart tomorrow. Your money could be gone. Your health could fall apart. Your relationship could disappear. The economy could tank even further. Your children, folks, your children could walk away. Your employer could come and say, I'm sorry, we're going out of business. Life is fragile. Life is frail. So live for something that matters. That's what James is saying. Consider God in your planning. 
Consider God in your giving. Consider God in the way you spend your time. Consider God in how you spend your talents. Because if you live for yourself and life falls apart, you will have nothing to show for it. Life is a vapor, which means life is fragile. Life is a vapor, which also means that life is short. There's no guarantee. I was talking about this with some folks recently, just about how our kids grow up. I mean, and I mean, it didn't take long. It doesn't feel like it took long for my children to go from holding them in my arms to going to college. Some of you, you think, well, you know, I got all the time in the world and the days feel really long right now. Or you're going to look back and the days may feel long, but the years are going to be brief. You know, think about our children, folks. Life is a vapor. Life is short. Don't assume you've got all the time in the world. Invest like, like it's coming down to the end because you never know. There's no guarantee. You know, we all need to hear this, but I think about young people. Listen, you, you, you think you have years, but none of us know. You might have months. You might have, you might have weeks. I mean, somebody in this, in this section, without being too morbid, somebody in this section, uh, we've got some back there and we've got kids all around. Listen, you might not have tomorrow. And I know nobody likes to think about that, but if it will help our young people to say, I'm going to live a life that matters because I don't know what tomorrow holds, then I'm for talking about it. Listen, you might have 80 years, and I hope that you do, but, but because you don't know, live your life like time is short. In the grand scheme of things, honestly, life is short. The older you get, the faster time goes. How many of us would testify to that? I do. Invest in something that matters for God today. Start a lifelong habit of living for God and living for eternity. I mean, two years ago, uh, I mean, I was a youth pastor for a number of years, but two years ago, we buried three young people that were in our youth group in Stillwater. 2021, in this matter, in the span of six months, three young people, three young men, teenagers that we took on camp trips, young people that, that we laughed with, young people that we prayed with, young people that I counseled at camp and, and, and had, took out to lunch and spent time with, with door knocking and, and time in class with. I mean, these guys were my friends, three of them. And you just never know. And most young people operate like they've got all the time in the world. But don't you wish you could go back as a young person and start investing in the things that matter, like monetarily speaking? I mean, I'd go back to the 90s and graduated in the mid-90s. And you know what I would do as soon as I hear about Google? I'm like, here's $1,000. I'd be a wealthy man today. As soon as I hear about Facebook or Twitter or one of those things. I mean, I'm going to invest in Apple. I'd go back and I'd do it in a minute. But listen, folks, don't you wish you could go back and start some habits, some spiritual habits when you were a young person and think about all the years you'd have developing that habit and growing and, and being more like Christ if he had started when you were young. See, the Bible, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 90, the days of our years are three score and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, 80 years. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Number your days. Make every day count. 
young people. I mean, I, it seems to me, and I, and, and I was there too, but it seems to me, you know, we've got a lot of good young people, but we also have, especially in our, our young men, I mean, it seems many times like everything's kind of a big joke. You know how that can be. I'm not trying to call them out. I'm just, dads, let's, let's consider that. If everything's a big joke and that's a big, that's the habit that they're developing, then when do they start finally getting serious about the Lord? Amen. You know, if, if, and they should see dad and mom be serious about the Lord. And we, and I, I love to have fun with people, but I'd also love it if our young people could get serious about God. I mean, imagine if they start as a 14 or 15 year old and say, I'm going to make a difference for God. Then they have a whole lifetime of investment and eternal rewards instead of everything being a joke, everything being a game, everything being a video game or laughing and, and cutting up. I mean, even in church sometimes. And listen, I understand. I, I was a young person too. Um, but we've got to be careful of just letting them kind of skip through life like it's no big deal when really we don't know what tomorrow holds for them either. Life matters. We could teach them to start investing in the things that matter. If you could go back and invest in Apple, I mean, think about how much more valuable eternally you, it would be if you would go back and start investing in your walk with God as a 15-year-old. So imagine then where you are in your mid-40s, if your young person would start being serious about God as a 15-year-old, imagine how much further along they would be than you are right now, how much difference they might make in the kingdom of God, how much of a blessing they could be to Eastside Baptist Church, how much leadership they could provide, how many people they could reach and disciple, and how much of a difference they could make in God's kingdom if we could teach them right now to start investing in God's work. Number your days. Make every day count. So there are three things. If life is a vapor, that means life is fragile. It means life is short. And the third is this, and I'm not going to get into it much, but we all know it. Death is certain. None of us get to escape it. And you say, well, you know, if Christ comes back in the rapture, you know, then we don't have to die. Um, but that's not the point. The point is at some point, then, you, then your life on earth is going to end. Whether it be through death or the rapture, there is a date that says, this is it for me. And when you stand before Christ, what will you have to show? Because practical atheists won't have much. So there's some truths that practical atheists, and that's my longest point, so don't be too afraid. There's some basic truths that you will miss if you're a practical atheist. Number one, life is a vapor. Number two, God is God. Number two, God is God. Look at verse 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. See, when you're a practical atheist, you forget that God is God and you are not. The problem with these businessmen was not that they were making plans. Like I've already said, it wasn't even that they were trying to make money. It could be that these businessmen were doing right, that they were trying to support their family. They were working in the right way and, and being diligent. Their problem was that they were acting as if they sat on the throne of their lives. And they were missing a couple of very important things. When you operate like you're God and, and God is not God, number one, there's only one room, there's only room for one to reign. There's only one seat. There's only one throne. There can't be two kings. It's either you or God. Who would you have rather sitting there? Number two, if you're ruling your own life, then you are not depending on God for anything. Like if you're in the seat, if you're calling the shots, then God is not having any say in how you live your life. And our best plans fail, but God does not. 
I mean, you could, make the, you could get the best insurance and make the best investments, and, and, but money runs out. God does not. Money fails. God does not. Strength fails. God does not. Wisdom fails. God does not. Friends run out. God does not. Listen, all the things that we count on on a daily basis that we think make life operate are all, uh, are they are all fleeting and they have a shelf life and they will one day, they will one day be gone except for God. So invest in the things that matter. What I love, though, about what James says here, and this is a very important point that I wish I could spend more time on, is there's not a distinction between who you are as a Christian and how you do your business. I mean, notice that. He said, he's saying, you ought to do your business with God in mind. Meaning that you don't operate over here as a Christian and you operate over here as a business person or as an employee. And what he's saying is don't compartmentalize your job and, and your identity in Christ. You see, uh, your, your identity in Christ, very often we, we think, well, my Christianity is right here in the middle and everything else is all around it, but they're not really touching. But what God says is that your identity in Christ should cover the whole bubble of your life and everything else is on the outside touching it. Uh, your identity in Jesus Christ and what he's saying is we too often compartmentalize our life as a businessman and our life as a child of God but we ought those two things ought to intersect and and really if one influences the other your identity as a child of God should influence your your the way that you operate as an employee and as a businessman so be be as honest and ethical at work as you are as a Christian at church and at home I mean, I think it's sad that sometimes, and I don't, know, I don't know if this is happening with anybody in this room, but I've known of this happening before, where there's a guy who owns a business, and, and his, some of his business dealings are a little bit shady, but he's an influential person at his church. Well, if you're a child of God with influence, then your business dealings should never be shady, because your identity in Christ is your first defining point as a, as a businessman, too. Work as hard in your job as you expect somebody to serve God. I mean, somebody who's been saved, you think, well, you know, God saved us and I ought to serve him with all my heart. And, but if you go to work and you barely get by and you kind of skim off the top and you kind of, when your boss isn't working, you know, you're playing solitaire. I mean, solitaire is a great game. But, if, but, but in many ways, if you're, if you're being honest, that could be looked at, at like, like you're stealing from your company. Because you're getting paid for the time that you work. And if you're not working all the time that you're getting paid for, I mean, that seems unethical. And what James says is don't separate work and church, basically. I mean, listen, I, I know I can't, I can't always be helped. But don't get comfortable or make a habit of choosing work over God's house. You're a Christian before you're an employee. You're a Christian before you're a business owner. And I know, listen, I know sometimes it's tight and you've got a lot, to work, a lot of work to get done. Um, work is important, but even if it means you take a hit tomorrow, clock out when it's church time. Because James makes no distinction between work life and the Christian life. But practical atheists do. So practical, practical atheism is going to make you miss a couple things. It's going to uh, it, it'll help you, or, or you're going to miss the fact that life is a vapor. You're going to miss the fact, the truth that God is God. And here's another pra uh, truth that t practical atheists tend to forget. This one is pride is easy. So life is a vapor. God is God. Pride is easy. 
Look at verse 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You know, we, we tend to get real happy when life goes according to plan. I mean, don't you love it? Like the old 18 mantra, I love it when a plan comes together. Sorry, I'm a child of the 80s, okay? I know people that are so together that it's almost a matter of pride. You know, it becomes their identity to be a planner. And I'm not here tonight bashing planning. You ought to plan. I've already said that. But James is saying it's easy to get proud when you have some of these impressive accomplishments. See, we tend to be, to be proud of it when we kind of make things come together. And it's extremely arrogant to think that we can live and move and have our being apart from God. See, self-dependence is the essence of sin. It's the root of Adam and Eve's garden decision. And, I mean, Lucifer said, I, 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 there before he was cast out of, out of heaven. See, we are very self-dependent. We want to rise to the throne and rule ourselves. But James, or John, warned against it when he talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And what was the third one he said? The pride of life. Listen, nothing is so easy as pride but nothing is so putrid to God as pride. It is such an easy sin and yet it is so disgusting to God because he knows who we are. Pride comes so easy it's so, and it's absurd because life is fragile. It's so fragile that it hangs in the balance yet we operate like we're the ones that control. And God notices, he calls this attitude boasting and he says it's empty talk. It's like the idea is that there's a, a traveling doctor who might go around and has a fake elixir, you know, in a wagon. And he's got it going up to these villages and he's got this elixir, this cure-all and it cures everything. And, and, and so he sells it to a bunch of people. But then he skips town before they can really see what happens because it doesn't do anything. That's the idea of this word when he talks about boasting. It's empty talk. I was reading about Napoleon Bonaparte. He was a, obviously a military genius, but, but his pride led to his downfall. And um, it, it, he was with, about to invade Russia, and, and a friend tried to dissuade him from doing it. And when it became apparent that Napoleon was determined um, to go and, and he wasn't going to budge, the friend shared this proverb with him, and he said, Man proposes, God disposes. And Napoleon very angrily snapped back and said, I dispose as well as propose. There was a Christian that heard the remark. He said, I set that down as the turning point of Bonaparte's fortunes. God will not suffer a creature with impunity to usurp his prerogative. In other words, just because you have the freedom to say something doesn't mean you have the right to do it. Sure enough, Napoleon's invasion of Russia was the beginning of his downfall. And folks, if a man like Napoleon could not withstand the fact that God is God and that pride is easy, listen, that we are nothing. God is God and pride is easy. And yet, if you're a practical atheist, that is the precarious position that you are in. Life is a vapor. God is God. Pride is easy. And number four, humility is hard. Humil isn't it hard to humble yourself? I mean, he says in verse 17, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and it doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. I mean, isn't this, it's amazing we come back to this. 
you know, think about back to a few weeks ago, what was the reason for the fightings and the wars among them in the first half of the chapter? It was pride. What's the answer to the fightings and the wars and the pride? Humility. Well, what's the problem with living without God in, in your own plans? Well, in verse 16, what does he say? Now you rejoice in your boastings. So he says again, the problem is still pride. You have a God complex because you're proud. You have a God complex. You're a practical atheist because you think that you are in the rightful place of God. So listen, if pride is our problem when it comes to fightings and wars and humility is the answer to solve those issues and pride is the problem when it comes to being a practical atheist and having a God complex, then what would we say is the answer, the solution to fixing that problem? Humility. See, here's the problem. Uh, we know that humility is the answer. We just don't like it. And you say, well, I'm really good at being humble. You know, there's irony in, the, in that statement. Then you're better than James readers. Because James says this. He says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And what he's doing is he's laying out that we ought to be humble before God. You don't have any right to have a God complex. You don't have any right to be a practical atheist. And then he closes it with this kind of emphasis, this exclamation point. says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And what he was saying is you know what to do. You just don't like to do it. You know what you need to do. You need to be humble before God. You need to seek him in your plans. You need to ask him about what you ought to do. You ought to consider his kingdom when you make decisions. You ought to humble yourself before God every day. And you know that's the right thing to do. But it's not fun and it's not easy. And we'd rather just live our lives. And that's why he says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. See, what's he talking about? Practical atheism, having a God complex, living as if you're in charge of your life. And he says, you know what to do. You ought to be humble. You just don't like it. See, here's a problem. We tend to judge sin on a scale. We say, well, I didn't get angry. I mean, I felt angry. I just didn't let anybody know. You say, well, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't rob anybody. I didn't fight anybody and beat anybody up. I didn't say it out loud. See, we tend to view the outward sins as the worst, the sins of commission. And you've probably heard this before. You know, the sins that we commit, that we actively commit, we tend to say those are the worst, the ones that we deliberately go out and commit and that people can see. And that, man, it, those are the worst ones. But James reminds us that the sins of commission, as bad as they are, the sins of omission are just as wrong. And you may not have said anything in anger, but you thought it. And now, instead of going out of your way to be a blessing when you see that person at church, you're now ignoring them. So that violates God's law of Christian love. So understand, if you yell at them because you're angry and you ignore them because you're angry, which one is worse? Well, they're equally bad because they both violate God's law of love. And so we've got to be careful to think, well, the sins that I commit, those are the worst ones. No, there are times in, in your life that it's not just the sins that you commit, it's the things that you omit that you are just as guilty of. The things that you 
don't do that you are just as guilty of. See, not doing something that you're supposed to do is just as wrong as doing something you're not supposed to do. I'm going to say that again. Not doing something you're supposed to do is just as wrong as doing something you're not supposed to do. You may not be a scoundrel, but if you come to church with no thought of being a blessing or reaching out to help a discouraged friend, then you're not showing love. And you've omitted love works from your life. Now, you say, well, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't yell at anybody, but you omitted a work of love which is, makes you just as guilty before God. You knew what to do good, and you did it not, and therefore it's a sin. I mean, screaming in anger is a sin, and it's embarrassing, but being selfish and refusing to meet a need when you can is also a sin. We may not cuss and swear, but if we know we're supposed to give the gospel and we don't, we're guilty. You don't just answer for the things that you do, you also answer for the things you don't do. That's James's message. I just, and th- just in thinking about this, it, I just wonder, I, I have to ask myself the question this week. I mean, how many days have I lived without God in mind? I mean, I, I, I've known from a child. I mean, I was, I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I've been in church my whole life. And I've known what to do my whole life. But this verse, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I mean, there have been many, probably many days that I've been guilty of omitting God from my daily life. And I, I was just thinking about, you know, how to illustrate this. And, and, you know, I have a couple of bowls and I have some M&Ms. Are you awake now? By the way, this jar was full just a few weeks ago. My kids. So, um, I, asked, I asked my wife this afternoon to count out 80 M&Ms. That does not look like very many, does it? But let's just say that this is how many years we have. We have 80 years. And, and let's just say that the vast, well, let's just say this, that it, we'll say that this bowl represents the, the years that we live for God. And this, this bowl represents the years that we live for self. And, you know, when you first get saved, of course, you don't get saved until, you know, maybe you're six or seven. Some of you got saved later than that. But let's just say that for the first couple years that you get saved, we're just going to say you've got 80 years of being saved. The first couple years that you get saved, you're on fire for the Lord. Maybe two, three years in, you're, man, you're really on fire. But then you get in the habit of sleeping till the alarm clock snoozes three or four times. And for a while then, your habit is you wake up just in time to get dressed and run to work. And your habit of walking with God starts to go out the window. So, you know, the first few years, man, you're all really on fire. But year number four, we probably have to put over here into this category. And it becomes a habit, and so years number five and six, you know, you're, you're kind of just in a rut. So Colin Creeble uh, gave a devotion this morning about just kind of going through the motions, which we all can do, right? And so for a few years, I mean, you're, 
you're kind of over in this. Well, then a good missions revival comes along. And God really works on your heart. And, you know, for a couple of years, you're back where you need to be. But like all of us, you know, we, we, we just kind of live without thinking about God for a while. And we kind of fall back into the practical atheist stage. And it goes on for a few years where we're just kind of over here. And, you know, and, but then there's a year where God really works on you in a revival meeting. But then you kind of go right back to it. And, you know, so every year it's kind of like there's four or five that you're living for self. And every once in a while you spend a year living for God in, in general. Like over the 365 days that you have over here, you know, you're like 250 where you're really thinking about God. So we're going to give you some credit, even though I'm not sure that's credit. And if you, know, if you do this long enough in your life, then it's really easy, if we know this is a problem for James's readers, then it's really easy for us to kind of live over here where we're living for self and every day we're waking up and we're not really thinking about God. I mean, every once in a while we have a good spell, but then we've got, you know, more than... Than, than just a few over on this side. And, and it just happens over and over and over and over. And by the time, listen, you get down to the end of your life and you've got one year left and you're starting to evaluate if you've lived your life more for self or if you've lived your life more for God. And you start looking at these dishes and you say, well, there's a real imbalance here. And I just wonder if, if this illustrates the average life of a Christian. And if you're trying to evaluate how many years you've actually lived for God compared to how many years you've lived for self, I wonder if we'd be ashamed. How many times have you woken up and thought about breakfast, but you never picked up your Bible? It's practical atheism. How many times have you gone to bed, uh, you know, watching your, your favorite show? But you never read your Bible or prayed. It's practical atheism. How many times, how many days have you spent earning money, which is not a bad thing. You got to take care of your family. You got to support yourself. But how many days have you earned your money without ever considering how to invest in a lost soul? I would venture to say that the number of days we've lived to make a dollar outnumber the days that we've spent seeking to reach somebody for, with the gospel. And how many days have you spent more time in front of a screen than in prayer for the needs of those around us? It's practical atheism. And how many instances can we look back on when we've spent time with friends or spent time with family and we had a lot of laughs? Young people, listen, we had a lot of laughs and everything was a big joke and a lot of fun. And yet not once did we take time to encourage somebody else to be more like Jesus Christ. It's practical atheism. And there may be some days that, some years that in general, you know, sprinkled in if, that, you, that you spent for God. But if you string enough days together where, with, with a God complex and you're, you're just kind of living for yourself and not thinking about God in your plans, then you will get down to the end of your life largely having made no difference for God. Can you imagine standing before the one who saved you? And having him maybe hold up the bowls. And he said, I, I died on the cross for you. I mean, I, I, Jesus says, I literally went to earth and lived for 30 plus years. And, 
and walked the streets you walked and suffered in shame and like no other person was tortured and beaten and I mean just treated terribly I did all that for you so you could have eternity in heaven you got saved as a seven or eight year old and you had a lot of years to live for me but but let's compare the two bowls and I just wonder I know it's not going to be just like that but I wonder how many of us are going to stand before God and God say I gave everything for you and you gave 10 out of 80 for me Sure, there may be some days that you serve God, but the vast majority of your years were spent for yourself. You say, I, he says, man, everyone's welcome, but you don't have much to show. Listen, there's one remedy to this. Learn every day to humbly say, help me live today with you in mind. I mean, every person I see God today... Help me not just be their friend. Help me be the kind of friend you would be. God, every minute that I spend at work, help me to think about what would most glorify you. I mean, every encounter I have at the store or at the gas station, God, help me to view them as a lost soul because that's how you would live. Father, help me every time I'm prompted to think about how I might could be an encouragement to this person at church who I know is struggling. God, if it comes to my mind, help me just to stop what I'm doing and send him a text. Help me at church today to not just go through the motions, but God, help me to do what I do with you in mind. Because God, I've lived far too many of my years for myself and I don't want to live that way anymore. Help me today to live with God in mind. Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs 27. He said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, it reminds me of the story of Joshua and Israel. You know, when they, after, jo, after Jericho, man, they were on a high, weren't they? And yet, where did they go right after Jericho? Two-letter word, what was it? A-I. And Joshua said, eh, just send a few thousand. A couple thousand should take care of this little village if we could take down Jericho. But see, so they went and Ai whipped them, humbled them. And men died. I mean, lives, families were changed forever because Joshua said, you know, we don't really need, we don't really need much. We, we, we can handle this. And what he forgot is they walked around Jericho and never did anything. All they did was blow trumpets and shout. So everything that happened at Jericho was all God. So for them to think that they could go to the next town without God proved disastrous for Israel. And yet how many of us will wake up tomorrow acknowledging that the best things about us are things God has done. But trying to live tomorrow without him. I mean, the best things in life are things I could never do on my own. Salvation, I could never do that. That's all God. And yet tomorrow, do I really think that I can go to work and be the kind of employee I need to be without his help? 
The best things I have in life are all of God. And yet tomorrow, dads, do I really think I can wake up and be without his help in the way that I treat my wife and the way I raise my kids? Moms, the best thing about you is the, is, are the things God has done. But do you really think that you in your own strength can have the patience and grace to help teach your kids and raise them in the way that you're supposed to without his help? When we look back and recognize that the only good thing about us is that we at one point chose God. That ought to humble us when tomorrow we wake up and think, I got this. Practical atheism. God complex. A God complex, just like it did with Israel and Ai, it'll lead you to defeat after defeat after defeat. But living according to God's will will lead to a life of victory after victory after victory. Which life do you want? I just want to remind you of these truths. Life is a vapor. God is God. Pride is easy. And humility is hard. So wake up tomorrow and rehearse those truths in your head. And refuse to be a practical atheist. When you recognize that the only good things about you came from God, it ought to impact the way that you live tomorrow. Let's not have a God complex. Let's be the kind of people, Eastside Baptist, that people know Eastside Baptist, they're the kind of people, they're not going through the motions. They're not just doing what they want to do. They have fully submitted their lives to God. And look at the kind of difference they're making at work. Look at the kind of difference they make uh, when they come into the room. I mean, people take note. And it's all because they don't live for themselves. They live for God. Let's not have a God complex. Let's not be practical atheists. Let's remember that life is a vapor. God is God. Pride is easy. And humility is hard. Let's stand together. How many days have you lived for self compared to the number of days that you've lived for God? I don't want to get down to the end of it and realize, and I really missed it. I really have very little to show. I mean, God gave me everything, and I gave him very little in return. Let's not be that way. Let's determine tomorrow to live with God in mind. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.